This is Tribeca Film Festival Live from WNYC. I'm James Ramsey. And I'm Rachel Neal. All festival long, WNYC is bringing you exclusive coverage of the talks and panels with some of the biggest names in film today. We're going to hear from Janine Garofalo, Christian Slater, and the team behind High Maintenance about the projects fans are most excited about. But first, a word from the president. Mr. Vice President. The Gregory Brothers started auto-tuning the news six years ago, back when YouTube was just a baby. YouTube? Auto-tune? Babies? Rachel, YouTube was created in 2005. That's so long ago. Now we have Snapchat and Vine. Look, speaking of the president, here he is on Vine. The P for president, and yes, I'm rocking the fitted. Uh, you know I love my wife, but Beyonce can get it. If you were recording that, I will kill you. That was not the president. No, it was Vine superstar Alpha Cat. But listen to this one. You take it out. You fill in for it. But listen. You're getting this. <laughs> Go on, you gotta, you gotta film this. That's Alpha Cat at the White House meeting the actual president. Wow, so Vine's like a thing. Yes, Rachel, Vine is a thing. In fact, some of the top Vine and Snapchat stars earn up to $100,000 a week making these short little videos. What? How much a week do we make for making these short little podcast intros? Not telling. Not, yeah. Anyway, on this panel, we'll hear about the intersection of art, storytelling, and business when it comes to social media superstars. We really want to talk today about storytelling in different forms, and we couldn't have found a more talented and eclectic group of people to come and speak to you today. So we hope that you'll leave and feel free to pull out your phone, Snapchat it, Instagram it, Vine it, put it on YouTube. Tell all of your friends that you had the best time here today. Um, We also have a lovely gentleman in the corner who's going to be periscoping part of the panel as well. So it's my great pleasure to introduce our moderator, Lisa Donovan, Evan and Michael Gregory, Alpha Cat, and Casey Neistat. Hi, everybody. Hi. It feels so intimate, right? This is great. Very quiet. It's okay to talk back. I I was actually curious um, for the audience, how many of you here are coming for educational purposes to learn, just as a show of hands, just to learn about online? Like, you're not that familiar. Okay. Wait, let me see. Do it again. You're not that familiar with online. Okay. And then wait, and how why many are the rest of you? Yeah, are you fans? <laughs> are the rest of you here for are, yeah. napping purposes? <laughs> <laughs> because I'd like to, I'd like to start with you guys really just giving some backstory, because I know just having started Maker and uh, having done YouTube that people are still asking me, well, what, what is that? What do you mean? How do you monetize YouTube? And how, how do you, what is that? So I think it's just really important to kind of give them some backstory and tell us why you create online content and on which platforms as well. Okay. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Amon Carlson. Um, I go by the moniker Alpha Cat online. Um, it's a screen name I created in 2005. Um, it just stuck. So um, I am an actor, and the reason I, I got into social media is because I, um, you know, being an actor, trying to beat the pavement, do the cattle calls, do the auditions, it can be very cha- challenging. Or it's not it can be, it is very challenging. But I saw an opportunity initially in YouTube and social media to get my face and my name out there um, a lot faster and more efficiently. Um, so today, I, you know, I use YouTube, Vine, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Tinder. Wait, what? Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, I use all those platforms, and I do it solely um, because that's what I enjoy. I'm a performer, I'm an actor, and also to further and grow my career. So. Okay. Um, yeah, so I come from like a pretty traditional film background. I. Uh, Worked in television. I had a, a series on HBO that I wrote, directed, and produced, and started, and that, and uh, produced feature films. The last feature I produced, like premiered at Cannes, sold at IFC, like fairly traditional. 
Um, and then like at around 2010, I got really kind of frustrated with a lot of the politics behind reaching an audience. Like I loved creating it and I loved sharing it, but all that shit in the middle, mm. I hated. It just sucked. Um, like submitting to film festivals. Um, <laughs> and I saw the internet, I saw the internet as a means of sort of uh, skipping that process. It was literally when you, when you determine your work, your creation, your video is complete, your movie is done, you then share it with the global audience. And you do it on a platform that is, uh, at least ostensibly, uh, uh, democratic and a meritocracy, where if it's good, it will be seen. If it's not, maybe it won't be seen. But it's fair. Um, and I found it particularly exciting that me, at the time, when I started my YouTube channel, I literally had a show on HBO that was premiering new episodes every Friday. But I started on YouTube, and I started on YouTube, and I had the same access the day I started as my like 12-year-old kid did. And I loved that. I loved how fair that felt. Um, and since sort of diverging to online content, or dis online distribution, rather, uh, there's been no turning back. And now the idea of, of making something for television just seems so um, un uninteresting. I also dig Snapchat. <laughs> wait, wait, what year did you start YouTube? I think in 2010 is when my channel started. Okay. And were people telling you, you were, why were you doing that? Yeah, my agent was like, Casey, what the fuck are you doing? Right. He's like, I've got these scripts. And I was like, yeah, let me <laughs> right. just do YouTube. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was early. Yeah. Um, so my name's Evan Gregory. Um, I'm one out of four Gregory brothers. We work as a, as a group. And our main thing is making music videos that are comprised of a collage of found content where we create songs out of stuff that began as a non-song. I think maybe we'll screen like a tidbit of, of that. Um, but I think our, our stuff is a, is a good example of a type of content that like, lives very well in the medium it's made for. Our, our stuff is not trying to be TV, and then we couldn't get it on TV, so it fell onto YouTube because anyone can upload on YouTube. It wasn't trying to be a feature film. We did start out at, in a very conventional way as musicians, and we kind of were playing in a very normal band together, but enjoyed like dabbling in comedy. Michael started the YouTube channel in 2007, 2008, or, or earlier, but the, the stuff that we were doing as a group was really maybe 2008, 2009. And um, we just began playing with these different elements and took one step after the other. And then lo, lo and behold, we have this format that like really wouldn't live anywhere else. Um, and that, for us, made YouTube, YouTube not only like the best home, it's, like it's, the, it's the only home. I, I, I couldn't imagine it going somewhere else. Yeah, it's like the invention that we were all waiting for because, I mean, otherwise, it's like Amon said, there's just so much competition and, and so much noise and so many people vying for that spot. Uh, it just makes sense when YouTube exists to go upload your videos. And before that, you, you just walk into some studio with a USB drive, a USB drive, and say, I'm here. On this USB drive is something brilliant. And you just, like, hope somebody cares. Or if you're a musician, you're singing in a club, and you hope that in Nashville some some rich guy just pops into your studio and says, here's $20,000 or something like that. But now that there are all these new that's mediums. That's how it works, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's how it worked like pre-2005. <laughs> but now that there are all these new mediums, you can put it online. And sure, there are a lot of videos online, but people can see it. Like a billion people can watch it by next year. Maybe, maybe a thousand, maybe a hundred thousand. <laughs> 
And you guys were, I mean, that's really early days, too. I mean, 2000. When did you start Shmuel Yoho? Was that 2000? Um, I mean, it existed just to, like, watch Borat videos. Right, like. right, right, right. <laughs> but I think, like, the first big video was, like, around the election 2008. Right. After that in 2009. Got it. I mean, but it, it was really early days. I mean, so did, yeah. did people give you a lot of resistance in the beginning? Or, I mean, did they uh, think it was strange it was, that you was wanted less, to post on YouTube or because it was so big right when you put out your videos? Like, it was less about resistance, like, oh, don't do that. Right. And more about just confusion. You know, what, what is right. that? Yeah. I do right. remember That's there was it. one friend. Yeah. I mean, we weren't coming from a traditional place for people to to say, like, why did you go from traditional to this? But right. there, I remember one friend, after I put out a parody video, it wasn't political at all, it's just a parody. And one friend was like, you put all that work into making this parody song. Why didn't you just like use that effort to write a real song? Right. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, what if I told you that was a real song? Right. 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 It was an actual right. song that I sang and recorded. Right. But it just had a melody that I guess was used before. Right. Well, we're here to talk about storytelling. And, and it is a buzzword. We were just talking about that backstage. Everybody's talking about storytelling. And... Um, and so is what you guys do storytelling? Sure, um, I would be happy to tackle that. I know, it's a hard one. Um, cool. I definitely, um, from my perspective, it's definitely sto uh, storytelling. Um, I'm most known for impersonating the president. And um, a, lot of what, <laughs> what, a lot of what I've done is take the actual issues in the news and make um, a satire of that or make parody of that, whether um, it's, you know, Healthcare, or whether it's you know immigration, like I actually take from the news and actually what's happening in the current events, and then I'll take it and put it into a story form, um, and it's almost like I'm ref giving a reflection of the president and what's going on and what the public views, what the public saying. What I tend to do is like I'll take what Republicans are saying about Obama, and then I'll write a rap as if I'm a, if, as if I'm him responding in in, in battle rap form. Um, and so I'm kind of telling a story of things that's happening from his perspective, but comedically, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and it's sometimes been eerily close. Like, I've, there's there's been times that I've written things that I, I've said, oh, this is going to happen, or this might happen, and things end up actually happening in that route, and it's been kind of eerie sometimes. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I looking at the sort of the trajectory of my entire career, so I've been doing this my whole adult life. Um, I showed movies and I called them fine art and they were in museums and they were in galleries and, uh, and then I made TV shows that were on television and then I made uh, feature films that were shot on, on celluloid that showed in movie theaters and then YouTube and now uh, additionally Snapchat and I don't think any of them are any more precious than any of the others. Like I hold just as much importance for a Snapchat shot on my iPhone selfie camera that I do in a, a movie theater that's showing at the Cannes Film Festival. For me, it's always been about sharing perspectives and sharing ideas. And the medium uh, on which it's captured on or the platform with which it's distributed has never been uh, as important to me as just this idea of using moving images or using whatever technology or mediums are at my disposal to share perspectives and share ideas. Um, and yeah, I think at the heart of that or the nucleus of that is, is storytelling. Stories are what make ideas palatable. It's definitely not storytelling. <laughs> All of our stories probably have a few thousand more deaths than Homer's. Right. Or take that. Our, I mean, our, our, our originals are like definitely like just the most basic form of storytelling, whether they're musical or less musical. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and when we use found footage, it's just like finding the story 
in those different pieces and bringing them together, or just finding the story in like how nonsensical uh, they all are and all these pieces of the news are. Yeah, Storytelling is such a, a, a broad, basic yeah. concept. I think yeah. the, you know, the, the real question is, like, wait, how, how can we describe our work as storytelling? And I guess we, when we're making a three-minute piece in which we imagine Newt Gingrich singing at a presidential debate, you know, what, what we're doing is, is rather than writing a, a, a feature script where in the first 20 minutes you're establishing the premise of what's going on. Instead, the premise already exists in our culture. We know what a presidential debate is supposed right. to feel like. And then on the other hand, we also know what pop music feels like. The premise is already established for us. We present them for people, and then we overlay them, and then we discover what might spool out from that. So mm -hmm. it's like a, com it's a compressed form of storytelling right. that, that it's, it's, we just it, work It out. can be harder, in a way, to do it in such a short form, to say so much in short form. Right, without explanation. Sometimes <laughs> you, you might just hope people know that Newt Gingrich is on a book tour and, and knows right. the context. Right. Sometimes you just have to step back and let uh, Barack Obama or Newt Gingrich tell the story for you. You're listening to Tribeca Film Festival Live from WNYC. Coming up after the break, we'll hear more about YouTube, Vine, and Snapchat. It's also about quality. I mean, that comes up a lot, too. Or, or I think that is changing, but certainly in the early days, there was always this thing, of, well, it's not quality, it's just on YouTube. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not quality. Whereas I think, obviously, it's, it's, it's so, it's, the quality is so profound because you're touching people and you're, you're connecting directly with people because basically your channels are your own distribution. Um, but that has been... A debate. So, what do you guys think about? Yeah, what is that? Jerry Seinfeld just famously said, like YouTube is a garbage can. Did yeah. he say that? Yeah, he just yeah. said that. And like, I don't know if there's was a... that an upfront selling yeah. his own thing. Uh, so we it, was on <laughs> it was tongue in cheek. I'm sure. I'm sure. It was, I just yeah. don't know of a way that you can sound like a more out of touch old man <laughs> <laughs> than to call YouTube a garbage can. Like, if you want to talk about what is shaping generations, not right. just culturally but socially. Um, it's not some TV show that's in syndication that was on the air 15 years ago because my kid doesn't watch TV. He doesn't right. have to no, use exactly. television. But he probably watches three or four hours of, of YouTube a week. Right. And, and also, I mean, everything is a garbage can. Like this weekend, I'm sure there's some right. awesome movies coming out. There are also some terrible movies. Movie theaters there, are garbage cans. There's a bunch cans. of brilliant stuff on YouTube, and there's terrible stuff. It's just every, everything. Nothing right. is, is uh, sacred. Well, yeah, and it's also the, the monetization of it. I mean, it's still, the money is still migrating over to online, and it's still not, it's still not completely there yet. So there's this disparity. Um, but yeah, yeah how do, sorry. About uh, and about that disparity, I think yeah. people are quick to blame the infrastructure. They're quick to blame YouTube. Mm -hmm. But I think the truth with that, because I've, I've sort of come from a background of advertising, um, that's how I've made a living for the last decade or so. Right. It's just been, the, the whole system, it's so new and so fresh, and if you look at sort of the exponential curve that has been content distribution, it was like, what, black and white TV for like 70 years before right. they switched to color, and then like Netflix comes around and like is annihilating cable in the course of six or seven years. Um, so you've got advertising industry, which is sort of entrenched in these old school media distributions. And then YouTube is so new. So right. it's, not just, it's not just YouTube trying to figure out how to make have creators make money, but it's the clients, it's the advertising uh, industry, mm -hmm. it's the whole system. Yeah. And I just think there's a growth curve there. Um, but if you look between the lines, like I've never accepted that there isn't really finite, really tangible, really lucrative means of capitalizing on a distribution mm -hmm. platform that you, you as the creator own. Right. Mm -hmm. right. 
I think the other the other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with the discussion is audience age and yeah, where right. where where spending power is and therefore who advertisers go after. YouTube's only ten years old, and <clears throat> every everyone of every age watches YouTube. But but the people that get their primary entertainment from YouTube are still predominantly quite young. But the thing that's going to happen is that as the teenagers and college students age up into the next age bracket they're not going to move media consumption habits and become TV viewers just because they get old. YouTube viewers are going to continue watching YouTube and the next digital platform that, that, that comes out. And then when the eyeballs are on YouTube, the advertiser won't have a choice but to pursue those eyeballs. And so we're, we're, only just, we're just within five or ten years of that being a majority of, of the demographics that, that people are, are targeting. And then the money will follow and we won't be having the conversation anymore. I remember thinking when I started in 2006, by 2007, all the money would be there. <laughs> I remember thinking it just take a little bit, a little bit longer. Yeah. But you're, so you're thinking you feel like it's a, it's another 10 years before it sort of balances out. Well, just in just in terms of like um, who, who everyone watches YouTube. I think we all accept that. But who gets the majority of right. their like weekly entertainment like just from? from YouTube, that, that sends a signal to like, if I want to find the eyeballs of this viewer to sell them my product, I have to look over, over here. I can't right. get it on where I was selling ads on TV. But I, you know, talking about a, a 10 year window in what's gonna happen on YouTube is like almost a fallacy. Like a, at, at that yeah. point, YouTube and TV will be the, the same thing. The same. It's their 10 year anniversary today, right? Did I see you? Were it you is. on Good Morning America? Mike and I were on Good Morning America this morning celebrating. celebrating. I, and I didn't even know it. YouTube. I looked at your Instagram and I was like, yeah. 10 years, wow. None of us would be here right now without you two. <laughs> How about you guys? So what do you guys think about the future? Um, I find it interesting because when he says 10 years out, if you think about it, since it's the 10-year anniversary of YouTube, I feel like it actually a lot of it is, is here. Um, right. Me, myself, because of the monetization of YouTube when it happened, um, I haven't worked a 9-to-5 since 2008. So I full time now just just make videos and I you know you know with all humility like I've made a very lucrative earning from it you know so it's like I I think it's here and there is a conversation with advertisers about you know the age brackets because most times you know if you look at the analytics you know it's mostly kids thirteen to seventeen right. and then it goes on from there but if you think about it you said you know they're gonna you know, grow you know, grow with, with us. A lot of those people are growing now because ten years ago they were teens, and now they are in their twenties, right. and their consumption habits haven't changed. So that's why the, the advertising dollars are, I believe, working and coming in so much because there there are people there, even though it's still a largely young audience. Mm -hmm. You know, the people that were watching back in you know two thousand and five, they're still a lot, a lot of them can be still there, and they're they're older now. Right. So um, and advertisers are smartening up. It's not entirely there, but they're getting smarter because they're realizing you know, so well you know. It's, this channel gets so much traffic, and you know, you know, on a TV show, it's not as much. A lot of YouTube, like popular YouTube channels or videos, can get way more traffic than a TV show. And, yeah. and advertisers are realizing that now. You know, where before they thought it was a trash can, they're like, you know, actually, this might be a treasure chest. You know, so it's changed a lot, and I, I believe that a lot. Of, there is a lot of money there now. Right. And the trash can to treasure chest disparity is still like grossly offset in the trash can's favor. Because I don't know what the latest number is, but I think it's 130 hours of content is posted to YouTube every minute of every day. Um, if you try to wrap your head around what that means, there's no way there's 130 good hours of content being created every minute of every day on planet Earth. It's impossible. So you've got the vast majority of the content up there, and it's like 
all but a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of it is just mush. And like all the people creating that mush, even the people who believe that their mush warrants a larger viewership, none of them are going to make any money. There's no money to be made off of mush. There just isn't. So the people that are able to make money are that fraction of a percent. And I think this is where a lot of the noise is coming from, is that the vast majority know that you can't make a cent off of YouTube, no matter how much content right. you make, without the audience. But again, I think that falls back into sort of the meritocracy box, where it's like, if people don't want to watch your shit, people don't want to watch your shit, and you're never going to make money at it, whether it's on TV yeah. or whether anywhere else. You would have been canceled five years ago on TV. The difference is you have access to this platform, and you, there's a sort of a sense of entitlement there. But um, I think that's something that's, that's often overlooked. Yeah. is the necessity to, one, build an audience, and then, two, the monetization options will be there. And people are quick to try to reverse those two. Can you guys talk a little bit about the mechanics of, of how you make your content, just for you know people who are learning? Like, how do you decide what video you're making? What is the process? How quickly you turn it around? How you deal with um, creating more distribution, um, working with other content creators? There's so much that goes into being an online content creator that I don't think people understand. and Maybe just a little education on the mechanics. Um, for me, it's a lot. A lot of how I get my ideas is observational humor. Like, I feel like if it's something that I naturally laugh at throughout the day, it's something that other people would naturally laugh at. And I feel like it's for me that's the easiest way to work. And so, for instance, like the other day, I was at a bar and I'm talking to a girl, and she's a cute girl. And then this guy comes up to do magic tricks, and then it's like <laughs> one of my biggest pet peeves is like guys who come to bars with a deck of cards. <laughs> And then you want to interrupt my conversation to do a trick. And of course, the girls always love it. Oh my God, I love magic. And I'm just like, oh, I'm going to kill you. So just like, but that's fun. Like to me, it's just life situations that are funny. And I take that. And so for instance, I take that, wrote a little script. And then what I have is um, I'm with Maker Studios. And like they, you know, I have a, uh, they, get, they give me production. So I, I contact my producer and I say, listen, I want to shoot this video. I have the script. I give him the script. And then he takes it to the team and they go, this is what he wants to shoot. And they come back to me like, okay, here's what the budget would look like. And then we, we break it down and we get together and we shoot it. That's a much more elaborate process than it used to be when I started, when a lot of YouTubers started, because it's like, now, you know, back in the day, it was just, it used to be about just shooting it. Shoot it and put it up, and the quality, it was even better, it was like kind of better if the quality was bad. Yeah. Whereas these days, the production has come up, so now you can't really slack and come with like a half-assed video, you have to really put some time into it, but the mechanics... So you feel that, that that's changed over time, now that there is a certain quality that you feel like you can't... That, yeah, okay. that, that has been a noticeable change, is that in the past you could get away with putting up something that really was like bad quality, and the fans right. embraced it more, because it was like homegrown, and like, you're just like us. Whereas now, if you do it too homegrown, the audience is like, oh, you suck. Right, kill right, you, kill right. yourself, delete your account. But it really depends on the person. If it's a vlogger, right. they can still do that. They can just talk to the camera. But if you're trying to do something produced, more of a story and a script, you kind of have to like polish it up a little bit. So. Yeah. And how do you help um, grow your audience and your distribution? Like what? Growing it is, um, has a lot to do with engaging your audience. Because it's like for us, you know, being in social media, to a fan who's watching or someone who, who likes your work, especially to these kids, you can be like a Tom Cruise or Will Smith to them. The difference is we're touchable and we can respond. Like, I'm a huge Will Smith fan, but I can't comment to him and have him comment back. It's just not going to happen. Whereas my fans can reach me, and I'm, in, by the way, I'm in no way trying to compare myself to Will Smith. I'm just making, <laughs> I'm just using an example. But to the fans, it's a big deal. You know, if I, if I comment back to somebody, they, they, they go crazy. Or if I tweet back or, you know, whatever, they, they're sharing it to all their friends. So the more you t talk back to people, the more loyal they are. 
and the more they share your work, because then once you're speaking, then they kind of feel like they're one of your friends. And to me, they kind of are, So because you're supporting my stuff, and I, I'm thankful for that. And they share. So that, and then also consistency is a big, a big one, too. Yeah. If you are constantly, just like a TV show, if, if something comes on every Wednesday at 9 p.m., 8 Central Standard Time, you know, it's like, then you know every week I have to come back and watch it. So if you do that with your videos and your content, if you're consistent with it, they, the audience kind of learns to keep coming back and checking in. If you, if you, and if you don't, they, they will let you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. They will definitely let you know. Yeah. Um, I, so I come from, uh, unlike musicians, unlike comedians or actors, I come from a filmmaking background. So the infrastructure has always been there for me. I have a, my own production facility. I have all my own gear. I have access to everything I need, including the knowledge behind what it takes to make a movie. Um, so my system of, of production has always been very, um, it's, it's all integrated. It's all something that I, I own and I, uh, I control. Um, historically, like for the last five years, how, how I've operated my YouTube channel is I would always make movies about whatever idea would strike me the most. And some of those movies uh, might take me a year and a half to make a 10-minute movie. And some of the movies might be a moment of inspiration in the morning and it's posted later that night. But the quality and, the, and really focusing on the narrative, these were all priorities for me. And that system of uploading maybe once every three weeks was about my average for the last five years has been very successful. It's like um, I made 100 movies. Up until March of this year, uh, I had made 100 movies in five years and had about 100 and 110 million views. Um, and then uh, I started a new company about a year ago, and as my that new company, um, which is not a video production company, as my, the demands were being put on me, I had been focusing on YouTube less and less, which was really heartbreaking. And I watched my sort of my reach and my fans just start to atrophy. So I gave myself this like, self-imposed challenge on my birthday um, 30 days ago to make a new movie every day, which is fucking suicide. Don't do that. <laughs> Um, but I've got to say, like, this isn't daily, like, talking into the camera. This is, like, like make a movie every single day. Have it posted by 8 a.m. every single day. That is great. And, wow. <laughs> wow. And I have no production team, no production crew. And I'm also running a company that has a dozen employees scattered across the country and all. So it was like, and I have a newborn baby at home. Um, How did you have time for this panel? <laughs> I, mean, I haven't slept in, like, many weeks. But since starting this movie a day thing, I've seen a surge that is just absolutely beyond yeah. anything I've ever seen before. Yeah. Um, I'm now doing almost like a half a million views a day. Um, my subscribership's going up by thousands every day. Uh, we've had to take the name off of our buzzer at my apartment where I live. We've had to up security at my offices, install cameras. There are kids waiting outside all day every day of my office because my address is public. Um, the camera store that's in the same building as my studio, management had to call up to us and say, there are kids coming in all day, every day looking for you. Can you help us? Mm -hmm. um, it's been nuts. So when you say consistency and regularity, yeah. um, people respond to that. Holy shit, do they respond to that. Yeah. Um, but now I'm like so down the rabbit hole, how can I stop You now? can't stop. Right there will be a lynch mob with like yeah. pitchforks and burning yeah. spears outside my office. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what to do. I'm you got to keep going. You're going to have to build <laughs> to some kind of personal crisis. And then, yeah. I'm listening. And then a confessional pronouncement where you say you're taking a break. See, I was... <laughs> that, is, that is a much more intellectual approach. I was going to go the Tupac route. Start a beef. Shootout ensues. Move to a tropical island. Mild surgery. 
find a new profession. Maybe like collecting coconuts. <laughs> you know, one thing that I don't think you're giving yourself credit for is that the, is that the movies that you're making now um, have a very strong personal perspective, and that's right. what people are connecting with. Exactly. It's like it's it's not just any like. I think people have a sense of like, oh, you're making a movie every day. You're a vlogger that that is like, today I put strawberries on my waffles. I'm crazy, <laughs> but but you're you, you have you have like really motivational, inspirational messages. You have a lot of personal stories that play out from your own background. It's like here's what I'm doing now, but let me tell you the story about why and like reach into your your background. So the the storytelling aspect and the and the point of view that you bring is like what's drawing these viewers yeah. in. It's not it's not just the 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 fact that it's like um, oh every day I did it and and suddenly people were at my channel. Yeah, cuz that doesn't people do that all the time, you know, and they don't get the viewership. You know, a lot of people do daily. Thanks for saying that. I'll get you that check later. <laughs> but now you've totally ruined his chance to do that because you know people can look it up. If there's a, if they've been watching the Periscope. Crisis thing? Oh, they've the been crisis. watching Periscope and they're like, right. oh, he said he's going to do a crisis. I know it's fake now. Right. I th I, I'd agree with everything they said, and then also just add that collaboration can be a huge yeah. audience builder. It, it has been for us for sure. And before, I remember back when our channel had 300 subscribers, we were collaborating with Barely Political, and then like it mm -hmm. shot up to like. 5,000, we're like over the moon, like this is awesome. And even if like, <laughs> you know, you collaborate with Obama Girl at the time and like even if 50% of the people that see that video and go to your channel are like, these guys are dumb, I don't want to subscribe, <laughs> that's like a good batting average. If right. like 50% like are your new audience and then you keep engaging with them and do all these other things. Well, how often, yeah, how much of your time do you, do you think about that, building your audience and making sure you're collaborating? Um, has that changed over time? I mean, once you kind of have that base, it's much easier. But in the beginning, were you guys um, very focused on collaborating to build that audience? Uh, we've never been very aggressive about it, but when you're in the YouTube game, you just start to meet you people, it, yeah. and, and, then it, and then it becomes natural. The, the, I, I think one important dimension of why collaborations are important online is because there's no built-in uh, curatorial aspect like there is on TV. When I turn on a TV, there's a flowing stream that I'm just dipping in. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going on YouTube, I have to find something. I'm going to go to on demand. I'm either clicking on related videos or I'm searching for something. Mm -hmm. So for us to acquire a new audience, they don't randomly happen upon our stuff. They find it through uh, social media or whatever. Or that really powerful way is we go collaborate with Alpha Cat and his built-in audience sees us. They're introduced to, to us, and we do the same for for him, it's not an arbitrary um, motivation to just go co collaborate with your with your friends. Like it, it can be fun beca because of that, but like that's the substitution for the curation that TV and and other traditional media provide. Right. And and how about you? How did you when you were originally starting? Were you collaborating a lot? How did you start building I your have, audience initially? I've, I've never done a YouTube collaboration on my channel. Really? Wow. Um, so how did you? What was your first video? How did you, you know, garner I mean, an audience? There's like all of this YouTube theory about how to grow and build, and I've never subscribed to any of that. My philosophy is always like, no, just make one movie that just explodes, and it will do all of that better. And like when I started making, like I said, when I started making my first YouTube channel, my first YouTube content, my early YouTube content, I literally had a show on HBO, and I'm like refreshing my YouTube channel. It's like seven subscribers, 31 right. views. I remember those days. Yeah, yeah it's painful. <laughs> it's like a real ego crusher. Um, 
But then I made this like really silly movie called Bike Lanes. This was back when Get Away with Shitty Production. It was like the worst produced movie ever, but it did five million views in twenty hours. But what do you um, think accounted for that? The, the subject matter. I mean, okay. So you just, it was just it was, it, okay. It was like a lightning. flawless culmination of like right. who doesn't love physical humor and right. like sticking it to the man and like a cool hip hop beat. Right. Like I'll watch that all day long. Right. Just so you, do that. Right. <laughs> Um, so you were able to take that, and because you were prepared and you were going to be consistent after that, you were able to keep that audience growing. Because a lot of people do these one-offs and you n never hear from them again. Yeah, that's right. It's like um, I have some good YouTuber friends, and I have right. some friends who, uh, one friend in the UK in particular, has five million subscribers. Mm -hmm. um, that's ten times as many subscribers that I have. And his number one most watched video has thirty percent of my number one most watched video, and his mm -hmm. number two most watched video has thirty percent of my number two most watched video. So I think that like my goal has always been to, when I have the opportunity or see the opportunity, to pepper like really zeitgeisty movies that capture the now that I know mm -hmm. are going to just explode. That's a great way to like get yourself out there. And then if people respond to it, like, well, who is this guy? Right. And then you can go from there. And that's why this video a day thing for me is so new. I think it's why like people can watch me doing a funny movie like Bike Lanes and be like, oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. When they start to see it every single day and they can start to learn and understand and feel like they know me. Right. Um, then they feel entitled to stand outside my apartment all day. Sure. <laughs> how about you, Amon? When you first started out, how did you build your audience? Um, it was the the collaboration, mo you know, mo um, approach is actually one of the most efficient. Yeah. And I did that a little bit, but for me, my my path was a little different because what really blew me up was. Um, Impersonating the president because, right. like, when that I happened, that. We, we yeah, when, when that ha when it happened, like, I, I had had an audience of about maybe like six thousand subscribers on YouTube at the time, and then I did my first Obama video, and it came from a suggestion. I was waiting tables here in New York. I used to live here, and this I'm walking to work, and this girl goes, "Oh, here comes Obama." This is when he was first first running. She goes, "Here comes here comes Obama," and everyone laughed. Now she just said that because I was the only black guy there, but. <laughs> So I did, I, but it gave me an epiphany and like, you know, I, I went home and wrote the script and I shot the video and the first video did really, really well, more than I'd ever seen because no one was impersonating him yet. So um, after that happened, election night came mm -hmm. and um, I wrote a, a, a comedy spoof to a, uh, I think it was a T.I. song and I put it up and I, I, I just threw it up and then left and I was heading to like an election party. And on the way there, I'm looking at my phone, it's just buzzing, 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 buzzing. And it was just like, I, it was just like, going viral immediately, immediately. And that's when I knew I had something with that. So I just kept posting that. So for me, my channel ended up growing by impersonating the president. And because every time, literally almost every time I do any Obama video, it goes straight to press. And I wake up and it's on the news, it's on Good Morning America, it's on CNN. Like it literally goes to press every single time. So that was a tool that I just, every time I put something out, it would just, my channel would just grow expon uh, exponentially. So. And so you're also on Vine. You're huge on Vine. So can you talk about that? What made you go to Vine? Um, how, how do you split your time? The priorities? Um, yeah, uh, I'm on Vine. Um, I have um, 3.2 million followers on Vine. And that, when that came out, I, I, I watched it. There's a lot of apps that come out. There's a lot of websites that also come out and try to be YouTube. And you'll never really replace YouTube. So there's a lot of video apps that come out. And you know, Instagram was always on top for a while. And Vine came out, and I kind of watched it. And I was like, I just want to see what it does. And um, I watched one of my friends who's now, he's actually now the number one account on Vine. His name's King, King uh, Batch. And I watched him, and his started growing slowly. And then Instagram came out with video. And I was like, well, now Instagram has video. Vine's going to die. 
And then it's, Vine just kept growing past that. And that's when I knew I was like, okay, Vine's actually something I should be on. So I got on Vine. And um, six-second videos, who would know that that would become like a big thing? But um, it's hard dividing. It's actually very hard dividing my time. Because yeah. Vine, you would think it's easy to do, and it can be. But when you have a bunch of friends that are all Viners, and you have to shoot, like, the, like we literally spend all day on these six-second video shoots. It just sounds so ridiculous. But that's how it is. And it's like one of the strongest platforms that's out right now, most popular platforms that's out right now. Um, so it's definitely a challenge. So what's the process of making a Vine video? You come up with, you, something happens at a bar, you come up with some idea, and then yeah, you, you just knock them out, like you stockpile them all day, or? It's, you, yeah, the same thing for YouTube videos. Like when yeah. I think of like observational humor, something happens, um, then, you know, you know, I just, I just uh, take it, and you know, like for instance, like uh, my friends and I were joking around, and a friend of mine was like staring at this girl's butt, like, she's a friend of ours. Yeah. And she was like, oh, why don't you take a picture to last longer? Right. And I was like, oh, this will be funny. Yeah. So we went outside, and I was like, me and him were standing on the wall. She walks back, and we got all like, you know, we're catcalling. She turns around. She goes, you know, why don't yeah. you take a picture to last longer? And without budging, we just, out of, from out of frame, you see our hands come up with our cameras, flash, flash, <laughs> and then it just loops. And so just simple things like that. But sometimes they can be more elaborate, and they can take a lot more time. Right. So, but do you wait and just see what comes up for you, or do you have sort of set days where you're working on videos? And I, I just, I just kind of flow with it. I don't really have right. a set day, a set schedule when it comes to filming. Like when things come to me, I jot them down in my notes in my in my phone. Right. And then sometimes I'll sit down and look at them and be like, okay, that's not a good idea. This can work. I'll try this. And then, you know, just at random times, I'll we'll, my friends will call each other up and say like, let's, yeah. let's just shoot this. You know. Sure. I also wanted to talk about brands and working with brands. Um, and what it's been, what it was like originally when you started working with brands, how you've seen it change. Um, do you feel like brands really understand how powerful you guys are at this point? Do you feel like they're they're paying you enough um, in comparison, you know, to, to other forms of storytelling and entertainment? Yes. 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 <laughs> On everything. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I, it, Again, I think I really approached that from a unique perspective in that I had had a, little, a background in advertising and understanding right. how it worked. And when you coupled that with my YouTube channel, um, what I think was holding back my YouTube channel from like building the kind of audience that, that you guys could build was the lack of consistency in my content. Mm -hmm. One might be a three-and-a-half-minute documentary that makes you cry at the end about my 88-year-old grandmother, and then one is about me crashing my bicycle into cop cars. Um, they both went viral, but grossly different audiences, and that's no way to really build a core audience base. But when advertisers look at that, they see dynamic work, and they see a place that they can fit in. They like a three-minute documentary, and they like these sort of crass um, social videos, and then they like the work that I'm doing for the New York Times, which is journalism, and then they like the work that I'm doing for myself, which is and they say, we could fit into that spectrum versus perhaps a vlogger or someone puts out right. very specific content consistently, I look at that as I'm Mercedes-Benz and I say, I don't know how I fit into your vlog, and then I turn and walk away. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I occupied a very specific space that I feel like was very easy to merge with brands. Right. Um, and then I, I had a unique approach to that, which was always that you want to work with me because you want access to my audience and my, my, my style, my, my aesthetic, my tone. Um, if that's the case, then like you are not in a position whatsoever to try to dictate creative. Mm -hmm. Like you're coming to me for my creative, this would, relationship wouldn't make sense if you were calling the shots. So let me pitch you. Um, and then building building around that very basic idea was how I built like a, a vertically integrated advertising production company agency creative agency, a soup to nuts uh, company, right. where literally it would just connect me with the client, connect me with Mercedes Benz, connect me with Nike, connect me with J Crew or Google or any of the companies that I've worked with in the past, 
and we will develop a comprehensive, I used to always say we, it was just me. Like, <laughs> we sounds so much like bigger deal. Like there's like a bunch of people sitting around a table, it's just me. Um, we would develop like a comprehensive approach and an idea and then like a pitch and then some ridiculous budget that had no um, item lines under it. It'd just be like one number because there's no way to substantiate it. Like, I didn't need any money. I like have like, YouTube videos cost me fifty bucks to make. Right. So I had to like bullshit it somehow. But does your company make the videos all for you, or for other? Do you no all for me because it was, they you? wanted access yeah. to the, the distribution channel. Yeah. And Mercedes Benz, their YouTube channel has a tiny, tiny fraction of the right. viewership of, of our YouTube channels. And Nike, Nike is Nike, and they yeah. still don't have the viewership. They can't compete Completely. with people like us that are putting right. out genuine content instead of like having it be your garbage can, I love coming back to that metaphor, but, <laughs> where you dump all your commercials and advertisements and all right. this stuff that, is, that has no real relationship. Uh, how much pushback do you, do you get from brands with ideas? I mean, I've, since starting my new company, I've stopped working with brands, so I haven't done advertising work in about 18 months, but okay. after, I did one Nike spot, uh, spot is wrong, I did one Nike video in particular mm -hmm. that was, might still be Nike's most watched video they've ever done. Mm -hmm. And the, the theme, the story, the narrative of that video is that I stole the, and this is true, I stole the budget, didn't make their commercial, yeah. and instead like spent it on a wild vacation a for my video. friend and me. It's such a great video if you haven't and seen it. And it was, it went on, like Nike was just like, shh, you can put it on your YouTube channel, it's just, why Casey? And I put it on my YouTube <laughs> channel, it goes on to be their most watched video. Yeah. And when you do something like that, then like companies come to you and they're like, do for us what you did to Nike, and I'm like, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, right. So after that, like, if you can set a precedent, then you are in a, a position of sort of authority to be calling the shot. Right. Prior to that, no. It was like it was me sort of doing what I had to do to fit within their very narrow spectrum, right. which would often inhibit the creative and make the work be less good, mm -hmm. which would make it more challenging for me to get more work. Mm -hmm. So it was a very, it's a very difficult process if you can't figure out how to break through. Right. Um, but we are like, you know, we exist on a new platform. We are like, the reason why we're up here is because in some capacity we've all innovated on a new medium. It's like, it's our job to break through. Yeah. So I have no empathy for people who struggle within that box. Like, no just empathy. fucking figure None. it out. <laughs> just like, take that budget and go fly around the no world. Uh, well, we want to open it up for um, questions because it, it looks like we're, does anybody have any questions? You're listening to Tribeca Film Festival Live from WNYC. Coming up after the break, we'll hear more about YouTube, Vine, and Snapchat. Yeah, that's good. just the basics. So you want to know the stats, like what, what kind of viewership. Yeah, it would be interesting, actually, because you guys have all been on so long, maybe to give kind of in the early days what you were getting, how it's, how it's grown and over the next last year. Um, that's funny because I've, I've never really been like a numbers tracker, not even of my own stuff, honestly. Um, in the last year, I couldn't really tell you about YouTube. I know in the, in the last year I got 3.2 new followers on Vine, um, and that was within the last year. 3.2 million. So that all happened in Did this year. Did I say year. million? No, you said... Uh, million. Yeah, <laughs> but that all happened this year. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And then for you guys, yeah, what's... For, for me, like it, numbers aside, it, it is and has always been exponential. It's never one, two, three, four, five, six. It's one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two. Like that is how growth works. Mm -hmm. Because if your subscribership, your built-in subscribership is bigger, you're jumping off of a much bigger platform, and therefore the splash can be much bigger. If you make an absolutely kick-ass movie and it's shared to your two subscribers, it may never go beyond that tiny spectrum. But if you share it to two thousand, or two hundred thousand, or two million, 
chances are it will find virality and go much further beyond. So as it grows, like the chance for growth goes way, way up. And as it grows, that's why it's so much easier. I mean, any one of us could upload 30 seconds worth of snow to our channels, mm -hmm. just like static. And we would do enough views for any newcomer to consider it like a smashing success. Because um, it's that threshold. It's like it's you have to get you have that to cross it, cross it. And I think that's the thing that people are quick to overlook is yeah. like to get to that place, it really takes time. It takes like a tremendous amount of work and then a lot of content. Yeah. Quantity matters on YouTube. Quantity really matters. One great video will do nothing. Right. It's about following it up and follow through and follow through. For, for us, we always saw our own growth as a series of hits where um, you know, we, we were making videos all the time and they would reach our, a certain percentage of our, of our core audience and then one out of every 10 videos or something would break out and be a, a big hit and we would spike and then when that spike would come down, it would never be as low as your previous average. You know, here's our, our videos, we have a huge hit, and then it comes down. Now all of a sudden our core audience is, is this much bigger. And you know, over the course of, say, we've been doing this for six years-ish, we have about 600 million lifetime views on our main channel. And I'd say probably a third of those are comprised of like really big hits that are uh, 15 million views and, and above. And when, when those cross a, th a certain threshold, um, it begins to a acquire new viewers and bring them kind of in, into the fold. And then that adds incrementally to what you're doing on all your other videos that you're, that you're making regularly. Right. right. And for us, it was weird. The, the auto-tune the news videos never got as many views as like the double rainbows. But you don't want to just make everything like a double rainbow-ish video or else you're just giving people a bunch of like French fries and no salad or something. <laughs> Thanks, this is so great. Um, I'm curious, your first paycheck, however, came, was it like from the president of YouTube, is my question. Like, how did, I always hear people who have 100 million views, like, how do they make that money, or who signs that check? And then my second question is, are you guys inspired or interested, I'm curious, do you guys watch any of these, like the binge-watchy shows or Game of Thrones? I'm just curious if you're inspired by those things, too, the, just being that you're content creators, if you look to other things or are interested in some of that media or not. Our, our first check was written by George W. Bush. <laughs> what? Um, I, I think I, the, 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 uh, I, I know this is true for Alpha Cat and for us, we were around at the inception of what's called the YouTube Partner Program that, that now is uh, just part of the platform and if you have an account, you are attached to the ability to make money, but that was not always the case. It, it used to be just uh, videos were uploaded and they lived there and people watched them and then YouTube got this idea like well if we if we incentivize the people that are making videos to make m more and better videos then maybe our platform could grow so let's give them a piece of the money that we're making and that was the partner program they opened it up to literally a few hundred and then a few thousand accounts of people that had proved themselves consistent and had a, a large audience on this like fledgling fledgling platform and then, you know, you signed up for it. You then checked a box to monetize videos. Ads began to run, it was and such a big deal. you know, it's a, it's a, you're talking about the the order of uh, not exactly, but along the order of magnitude of you know a, a penny for every ten views or something like that. You know, it grew to be a you know the, okay. There's a for every thousand views, you get a dollar. 
that's not a lot of money until you start hitting the hundreds of thousands of, of views or something like that. Anyway, over the course of a couple years, from 2009 to 2011, it rolled out to everyone on the, on the platform. And mm -hmm. so the, the, the check is just in the form of a digital payment from Google AdSense. And the first check was really like before, way before we were partners. Like, I, I feel like it was when I was getting like maybe 10,000 views and somebody was like, oh, hey, can you write me a jingle? I saw this right. video, that's cool. So I was kind of like, oh, wait, like, I'm not really making money from YouTube, but it is from YouTube. It's not exactly from that, but I have to keep doing this because then I'm writing this weird jingle about sex, tech, and style that I don't really understand. <laughs> um, people, people are always pretty surprised to hear this, and I don't really have a good answer as to why, but I've never monetized any of my YouTube videos, so I've never gotten that check. And there were years when YouTube would just call me and be like, please, please monetize, because they can't put ads if you don't let them put ads. And I never have. And they, they even like withheld is a strong word, but they sort of like withheld support. They're like, you know, well, you can't, we can't give you the support we give a partner if you're not an actual partner. And they kind of rolled over on that. And now they're like incredibly supportive, but I still don't Yeah, I forgot monetize. to ask you that. What, 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 why did you make that choice? I just like, the whole reason why I went to YouTube is I love this idea of connecting directly with my audience. And it's like, that's such a profound idea after dealing with the bullshit that was two years of dealing with HBO to get my show on air and then having it like be swept under the rug and like getting the worst time slot because like the president had fired the head of content and the new head of content didn't like the show. And it was like, but I made this and it's so good, I just want to share it. And that was such a frustrating place to come from. And then I like go to like a warm, cozy YouTube where it's just like me and the people that like are so generous with their time, they're willing to sit down and watch my content. And like I'm gonna put some like shit cat food commercial in front of it so I can get a tenth of a penny. It just seemed like a really horrible idea. So you were making all your money from brand innovations. I mean, I've still never monetized. And now Are you thinking I about think, changing? Yeah, yeah, maybe it's time to change. What are you thinking? What I'm think now, about it's how like, many more videos you, you can make. I got, I, got like a, I got like a baby now. I know, you should turn that monetization My down. wife has no idea how this shit works, so there's no pressure from And you said you're getting like half a million views a day? A day. You, you better, should turn boy, your monetization you on. Come on. And YouTube is still making money from you. There are no questions. Yeah, they're yeah, exactly. I w it's just become like this weird integrity, like claustrophobia. Oh. Let it go. <laughs> Let, Let it, it go. go. Let it go. You could hire someone to help you make these videos every day. Yeah. Or you can hire someone to click the button just to turn on the monitor. Yeah. Like, I'll do it for you. I'll give you ten percent. Where's your phone? No. <laughs> yeah. I feel I'm only doing the front row. This is not fair. I should have. I'm, I'm sorry. Actually, on a segue to that, would you consider using a different platform? Like you're on Vine, you know, would you, are you, I mean, do you other independent platforms that exist? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm huge on Snapchat. I do, yeah. my Snapchat viewership is in parity with my YouTube par uh, viewership. Um, so I do, each snap I post is hundreds of thousands of views in real time. Uh, and the opportunities for monetization on Snapchat are a, a absurd, they're off the charts because it's so undefined. Talk about Wild West. Um, if you can walk into an advertising agency or to a client who's interested in Snapchat and explain to them not only what they should be doing, but how to do it and that you can do it and that you have a distribution, like blank check. Um, I haven't really been doing that, but that is, that. I think that's interesting. As far as distributing like my movies on another platform, I mean, like I, I also put them on Vimeo. I also put them. I used to put them on Daily Motion, which is the number two biggest in the world. It's just like it is YouTube. It's like YouTube, YouTube is like is hegemony. Like they own video online. They're not a little bit bigger 
It is YouTube and then these tiny little blips. So until someone can really validate a reason to put it elsewhere, I have no, like, I just have no reason why. There's, there's some other platforms out there that have generated some buzz in the industry, and the one I'm thinking of is, is Vessel. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's an interesting case where they put a stake in the ground and say, like, we're, we're going to try to differentiate ourselves from YouTube in very specific ways. Um, by letting people subscribe, we're going to try to pay famous YouTubers to put their stuff on our platform first. You know, just literally buy people off of a platform. And they made us an offer and we didn't take it. It just didn't feel right for us. And it also, we don't feel the pressure to help them succeed out of the gate. If they do succeed, then we can just, you know, get on later. But we're, we're definitely in the, in the camp that Casey describes, namely, um, YouTube is the biggest. But it all, the, the other aspect is that YouTube is its own social media platform. People have accounts on YouTube, and they have an identity, and those identities comment on other people's things, and, the, and they follow the breadcrumbs of other people's ac accounts. And the, the social aspect of it is, is very important for um, us staying in tune with our, our audience. It's, it's not just that YouTube is the biggest platform in the world, but it's also that the audience is connected. I think you find all YouTubers, all successful YouTubers, have a respect and an appreciation for their audience that comes before anything else. So the idea of, of going to another platform for monetary opportunities or for whatever else they might be is a very risky one because like, we owe our entire everything to this audience. Mm -hmm. So the idea of jeopardizing that is a very, very scary um, proposition. Yeah, I, I completely agree with all of that because it's like once you're when you build your audience on a platform. Here, well, here's my thing. Let me start here. I think it's really way too late in the game for any website or any app to come along now and, and try to say we're going to be the next YouTube. It just it doesn't make any sense logistically to me. Um, it's like watching an artist. It's like I want to be the next Michael Jackson. No one will be ne Michael Jackson. Nobody. Just be you. You know, no one's going to be the next Madonna. Just be you. When it comes to creating apps, don't try to be the next YouTube because it's, it's just too late. You can't, you, can't, you can't outdo it. It's like YouTube won. They got them all. So it's like come up with something different. But for me, there, there would be no point to migrate my audience off for the sake of a dollar. You know, it's, and on, and on, on top of that, it just honestly, it wouldn't work. I could, I could take a, a deal from Vessel and, like, you know, take all this money. And, like, I'm posting here first, and I, I would really just shoot myself in the foot. Honestly, you know, because it's like I'm confusing my audience. It's like, well, now you have to check here first, but it'll, be, it'll still be on YouTube, but come here first. It's, just, it's too much. You know, it's just like keep it simple, or like my psychology teacher used to say, keep it simple, <laughs> stupid kiss, the kiss concept. Anyway, so yeah. I mean, everybody does have their own creative yeah. freedom, yeah. I mean, for, for me, it was always about like, I mean, this is all after I was no longer really broke. When I was really broke, like, sign me up, Halliburton or NRA, like, whatever, whoever's check's going to clear, like, <laughs> Make a tourism video for Iran? Sure. Um, but no, it's, it's always been like, do I care about this company? Do I have a relationship with them? Like Nike, I've never sold sneakers for Nike. But this idea of like making it count, this idea of just do it, the ethos behind Nike, yes, I believe in that. Um, you know, like Mercedes-Benz, like I went there. I saw they make these things. Like they're unbelievable machines that these guys are building. Like I believe in that. Um, I mean, I, so Toyota did come to me. Um, and I, I, I asked, and they wanted me to do a campaign about how they were giving, they were applying their assembly line techniques to food banks to be more efficient in distributing food. So I don't drive a Toyota, they're 
fine cars, but like, I don't know that I'd make a commercial for them. But they're doing this great thing. So I produced a video with some friends of mine that they directed about how they're giving food away in a more efficient way. And instead of giving 100 people food a day, they can feed 500 using their techniques. So I have worked for Toyota. I can tell you yesterday, a very, very lucrative campaign for Bud Light landed on my table, and I didn't even take the call. Like, I'm not interested in, um, in lending my name, brand, or likeness to an alcohol company. I mean, I'm no problem with like drinking of whatever, like fucking <laughs> blacked out drunk Saturday night. I just mean that like I don't. That is not something that I want to leverage everything I built to promote. Um, so for me, it's just it's it's all it's nuance, but it's it's preference. I think we literally have time for one more. Sorry for dominating that question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because what happens is that we end up at a, a lot of the same events together. And even if we don't know each other, we're constantly thrown into the same place. So I've seen you know, fans comment and say, you know, oh, you guys only hang out with each other. You don't like, want to hang out with fans. It's, like, it's not that we like, like, try to do it. It's like we end up at the same events, like now. Like, I've known the Gravy Brothers for a long time. And, but I knew them for years online before I ever actually met them. And then once we finally met, it's like you know, I always see them at the same events. And so we all, it's like a huge family. We all know each other. you know. Never met this guy, but as he's talking about his videos, I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw that video, and I saw this video. And like, now I'm realizing I've seen him all the time and didn't even realize it. You know, so we all are familiar with each other. We all know each other, and we're like one big family you know, when it comes to working together. And yeah. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, when, when we've met each other, we already had known each other's stuff online. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd watch your stuff online. I'd watch Casey's stuff before I ever met him. So it's kind of like if, you, if, you know, if your dad said something embarrassing to Steve Martin at any point in your life. It's kind of like that. Like when, when I meet like somebody online that I've watched and I just feel like I already know them, even though you don't, but then over, over the years you just go to these conferences and get to know them. The, the club is pretty big now, right? It's yeah. like when we first met Alpha Cat, there's like a few hundred people that are making a living on YouTube. Now there's, there's tens of thousands. There's large companies that have outlets on YouTube that are functioning as production companies. It's like it's, it's not this tiny club in, in, anymore. The, the community is quite big, but it does feel like a, a, a class of people that you get to have reunions with every year at, at VidCon and whatever else you, you're going to. There, there is that aspect to it. Are you on VidCon this year? Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say, VidCon's is just three-day debauchery fest. Yeah, I'll be there. That's fun. Okay. We just party all weekend. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you guys. Oh, thank so you guys for being here. Thank Thanks you. so much. Thank you.